0: does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q-certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it
1: all. One hour in the books here on the Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. We talked Colts. We talked NBA. Pacers, we talked when we would want to get a refund on a sporting event in our life. It's harder and harder when you're in this business, though. We see a lot of sporting events without paying for a ticket, and that is certainly a perk, one of the many perks. I don't think this uh, our first guest has paid for a ticket to a Colts game in <laughs> maybe my lifetime. He joins us now. <laughs> Fox 59 CBS 4 Sports is Mike Chappell is with us. Chappy, thanks for the time. Um, how many people per day now pull you over in the store and ask you about the fourth overall pick on Thursday?
2: Yeah, like I know, like Chris Ballard shares, you know, we we talk every night just to double-check to see where they are. Yeah, I I don't know. And and with all the the misinformation and smoke that's out there, we talked to him last week, and I asked him, do you know how the top four are going to go? He said, no, I don't. I believe him. You know, I think everybody's pretty convinced that Bryce Young goes one. I'm still not convinced Houston doesn't take a quarterback. I, I need to see it. I'll need to see it. But, you know, we'll see how these guys fall because until – you know, the one thing in the past when the Colts have had this franchise-shaping decision, they've had the first pick, you know, with Peyton, even going back to Jeff George. But Peyton and Andrew Luck, When you when you're at one, you control everything. Well, when you're at four, you don't control much of anything. So – it, that's what adds intrigue to it. And whenever you have quarterbacks involved, uh, you know, three, four, five, whatever, it always amps up the uncertainty because, as we've seen, whatever the word is desperation, urgency when you don't have the guy, you've got to find the guy. And there's five guys here that people think might be the guy.
3: Chap, you mentioned and reminded followers on Twitter last night post Aaron Rodgers' official trade to the Jets that, you know, it's critical for the Colts to find their guys, what you tweeted out, can't keep falling further behind in the arms race. When you look at the potential lottery tickets of guys, you mentioned five potential quarterbacks that could be that guy, but like you mentioned, the Colts really not in control of their own destiny here. They have to wait to let the board come to them. How dangerous is it to either A, take the wrong guy here, or B, set yourself further behind that arms race with false hope, whoever they take, let's say it's Levis, let's take it Stroud, let's take it's Richardson, either one. How more, more dangerous is that versus the argument of taking a swing this year because being inactive will set you further behind.
2: I, I think at some point you simply have to take a swing, trust your again, this is all based on on all the evaluations that they've done saying they believe one of these guys is the guy and that guy, if he's there at Four or three, if they move up. If you believe that, you, you just have to do it, knowing that you know it's probably forty percent teams are wrong, even even at the top of the draft. So some, it's some it, yeah, there's danger involved, but I think in action it may be as bad as anything to be sitting there in a year or two years and say, boy, I, w- I wish we had done whatever. I, I would rather. I think they're at the point. To where they just have to trust their evaluations, and if one of their guys is there, you take him, and, and then you do everything possible to give him a chance to succeed. Shane Steichen's presence can't be overstated. They believe that he can that he can work with a you know an unfinished product, which all of these guys are. You know, even Bryce Young, they're all unfinished and have things they're working on. All of them have things you can work with. The one thing you can't work on with Bryce Young is his size. Yeah. I mean, you, you can have him eat a host of donuts, and he comes in at 220. But but the other guys, everybody else's flaws, I think, are workable. You know, the experience with Anthony Richardson is you get him experience. I mean, everybody else, you, you can work on things. I just don't think doing nothing – or getting a left tackle, a future, or a pass rusher that might be, you know, the guy. None of that in my mind really, yes, it matters. But until you can get the quarterback solved, hmm. your, your ceiling is so low, it's probably not even division. Yeah. I don't think it is. So, so you, have, you have to trust the process, trust your, everything you do. And say, here here we go, guys. This is the guy that determines whether we're here for another six to eight years or whether Drew Mersey really hits a reset button in two or three years.
1: Fox 59 CBS 4's Mike Chappell is joining us. And the good segue there, Chappie, with you mentioned Shane Steichen. Two-part question. I'll try and make it as quick as possible. Number one, how involved is your sense that he is in helping to select the quarterback, if that is indeed what they're going to do in this draft coming up. And then secondly to that, since he's had success and it's been well documented with a number of different types of quarterbacks in this league, all four of these guys that we're sort of throwing around have various levels of success, whether mobility, arm strength and the combination of them. Is there a particular type of quarterback that you feel like is the is the need or is the want of that head coach based off of his variety and then how much of a say does he have in who that might be?
2: I think he's got a ton of say. I really do. I I, I think you trust Chris Ballard and his personnel guys, all these scouts and Morocco Brown to say, okay, this is how we rank them. This is what we see. And then you go to Psyche and say, okay, which ones do you believe you can really work with and, and kind of get the most out of? It would just make no sense for Chris Ballard to make this pick without having, without allowing Shane Steichen as head coach t- to have heavy input. I, I, I'm not saying Shane, Shane Steichen makes makes the pick, but boy, he's got to have, you know, a strong vote and a strong voice if he believes strongly in one of these guys. Or if not, what are you doing? You know, wh- wh- why would you give your new head coach a quarterback that says, "You know, I don't know. I'm not too sold on this guy." our evaluation says this. That's crazy, and, and I don't think that's remotely what they do. So I, I think he's got a, a ton of, of say. Frank Reich had a ton of influence until, you know, things didn't work out. Totally with didn't <laughs> Car- Carson Wentz, and not so much Matt Ryan because they were all, you know, they, they were all sort of in on Matt Ryan. But y- y- you've got to, you've got to give your head coach. Uh, all the chances in the world to succeed, and that starts with giving him a quarterback that he believes in.
3: The Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS 4, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. Chap. what's your lean on if it is Stroud, Richardson, and Levis available by the time the Cardinals are on the clock? What's your lean on the Colts' willingness to try to trade up at this point in time?
2: I guess it would, they would prefer to stay put because you're going to give up a couple of what Jim Mercey describes as gold nuggets in second or third round picks, uh, but I've always contended if if you if you get a, and I, I think Arizona waits till draft night to trade. Yeah. That, that's what that's what it'll be the yeah. most valuable. But if you're sitting there at four and Arizona gets on the clock and your guy. You know the other guys are gone, and your guy is left. You go get him. You just you just and you don't think about the price. You know you don't think about boy. I really don't want to give up two twos or a two and three. That's crazy. If you believe in that guy, you, you 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 go and get him, and then you deal with the fact that you're losing a couple of pretty valuable draft picks. And but if they if it comes there and they've got two guys that they say you know we can work with either guy, then you stay put. Because they do value draft picks, and they've done great work in second and third round. Yeah, there've been there've been misses, but everybody has misses. But ideally, you stay put. But if doggone, it, if the guy's there, you go get him. I was talking to Bill Polian about a story last week, and he likes Hendon Hooker. Now, I'm not saying, you know, he ranks him above all the other guys. But he likes him. And I said, boy, you can't take Hendon Hooker at four. With 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 the knee and all that stuff, and this year would be pretty much a redshirt year. And he said he he decided he came to the conclusion a long time ago that if you like a guy, if you really like him, you take him. You know, you don't wait. Say, you know, you don't wait to maybe I can get him at 14 or 20 or whatever. If you like him, you go get him. But I, you know, I don't think they would do that. But the point is that there's a guy that you really really like. And the only way to ensure getting him is to move to three, You do it. I'm convinced, and I'll be proven wrong, I guess, that Arizona won't pick at three. I just think somebody comes up. The Raiders, Atlanta, gosh, Tennessee. That's a long way for Tennessee to go. But but, and, and can you imagine somebody, you're sitting there hoping you get your guy, and yeah. somebody jumps up and gets him. That's where you don't want to be, boy, if we had only done this. And that's why I say if the guy's there and you got a chance to move up and get him, you go get him.
1: You mentioned draft capital. The Colts have more of it for this draft than they had maybe a couple of months ago with the moves that they have made. And while it's hard to sort of peg who they might actually end up picking, whether it's at three or four, it almost feels like it's a foregone conclusion with three f- fifth-round picks, Jappy, that there's probably going to be a linebacker picked, given Chris Ballard's history. And then really just kind of the conversations last week uh, around the facility about you know the need maybe at that position to go and, and try and find some things. As they try and build some depth later on in this round, we know where some of the holes are, where do you think they're going to try and build depth, especially as they have that sort of glut of day two and day three picks?
2: I mean, we can argue around, too, if you don't give it up on a trade-up, whether it's a receiver, which I would prefer just because you got a young quarterback and it's a supposedly a a thinner receiver draft, even though the, the, the glaring need outside a quarterback is corner. Yeah. Is cornerback. I mean, that that cornerback that room is really, really thin. As far as guys that have played at a high level, uh, but I so I, I can see the the second and the third pick being corner wide out wide out corner, and then gosh you've got you've got to find some offensive linemen. You need you need a, a, a young tackle to develop behind your young tackle at left tackle, and you need a couple of interior guys. You you're trying to find perhaps a starting right guard unless they've got a free agent targeted if they don't get him in the draft. So they've got holes, but but corner, uh, wideout, and offensive line just kind of jump off the table. They've done, I was going to say virtually nothing, but they've done nothing uh, on the offensive line thus far, which tells me, again, they think they can get him in the draft, a couple guys in the draft, or, again, that they've got a couple guys pegged in free agency that, That when they, whenever they don't get in the draft, I say, okay, let's go get this guy who's played, you know, five years for three teams. And we think he can be a player, you know, the, the Mark Lewinsky, Chris Reed type of guy, which you'd love to get, but you know, you just thought those guys aren't always available. So those are the three spots outside of quarterback that jump off and you need a linebacker. I, I, they're very, very good. They've been very good at finding linebackers. They have, uh, and I guess I would think they've got a good idea on Shaq's availability or where he's at one way or the other. I'm guessing they're, they're positive. Shaq sort of gave us optimism last week, but still, you know, five months out from surgery, I would feel better if he, if he was further along. That's just me comparing it to where he was last year coming back. But they've got, you know, I think this is a very good roster in spots. But boy, they got some holes to fill.
3: Mike Chappell, with us at Fox 59 and CBS4. Chap, you've covered this team since they arrived in '84. I know every offseason is unique and has its own challenges and storylines. But when you look at how you've covered this particular offseason that will lead up to this draft by comparison to all the others, what's maybe the the different aspects of this year, if any, or, or the uniqueness? Of this draft compared to others that you've covered.
2: whether you need to say is that you've got to find a quarterback, and and for the first time in several years, you're in position. Things have sort of lined up. Things lined up perfect to get Peyton Manning, and things lined up perfect to get Andrew Luck. I mean, I, I always go back to 2011. The Colts were awful, and they get the first pick, and they get Andrew Luck. The very next year, the Chiefs were awful. Get the first pick, and they get to, and they get a left tackle because there weren't any quarterbacks. So it, it's time. It's it's about being in the right place at the right time. And at four, they are. I mean, again, that you can enhance that to, to go to three. I can't see Houston trading with the Colts to go to two. But you're, you you need a quarterback. You've got the fourth pick, and there's a slew of quarterbacks to choose from. So again, it it, it it's about. Preparing for the future and giving the team and the fan base reason to be optimistic. And, and that's what Thursday's about. It's it's about, for, for a couple years, until you know there's hope that this guy, whoever it is, is the guy. And if he is, gosh, you're set for 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 years. Mike, so until, but until you get the guy, there's uncertainty, and uncertainty is a never never a good thing in the NFL.
1: Mike a broader question I mean you spent so much time in those locker rooms and press conferences and the sort of unique setup that is this offseason new head coach but the same brain trust in terms of GM what's the temperature of the organization I mean I know that's a really really broad question to sort of ask but you have an influx of a new sort of offensive coaching staff and a new head coach and all the vibes that come with this but you got a lot of the same it's obviously a pivotal draft and everything that's coming up but in this sort of era of the Colts that we're in this Sort of post Andrew Luck era, I guess, of the Colts trying to figure it out. Like, what is the temperature right now in that building? Because it wasn't a, a cleaning of the house; it was a half cleaning. We took one wing and we sort of redid one wing of the house, and now we've got to get, you know, a master bedroom occupant for that wing of the house offensively with a quarterback. But it's it's a sort of a unique situation, and so you've seen so many different situations and turnovers of power and stuff in the years. What's the temperature right now, of, of your opinion, in the building?
2: Well, it, it, it's it's to win. It, it is. I remember it was the last week or two weeks ago we talked to Divorce Buckner, and he said, "I hate the word rebuild." Well, I, I guess it just depends on where you, what word you want to use. It's not a total reboot. It's not. But but when you bring it, when you're turning to a young quarterback, you have to have patience. And and, and Jimmer it, "It's funny where Jim says talks about." the multiple Lombardis, which he's always driven by, which he should be, you know, good for him. Now, of course, it it sort of skews optimism when he talks about that. But at the same time, he he talks about, you know, you need patience when you bring in a young quarterback and even a a, a head coach. It it requires patience. And I guess the question is, what does patience mean? Does that mean one year? Does that mean, boy, in 2024, this team's going to be ready? Because every year that you're that you're building toward, your your player your, your young it's a, your young players are getting older. I mean, Jonathan Taylor will have an, let's say 2024 is when they're put they're really pointing towards. But then Jonathan Taylor's got another, another year on him. Michael Pittman and, and the offensive lineman Ryan Kelly. So it, it's it's totally understandable that the players say, you know, screw pointing for the future, let's win now. Yeah. But when you have a young quarterback, and let's say whoever it is that, that he doesn't start the season, I, I don't know if he does or not, you've got Gardner Minshew, and I guess in your mind, let's say that the, the plan is that he starts until he until he's not performing well. What can he get you to? Six to wins, seven to wins? I, I don't know. He's available for a reason. He's available because he, he's viewed as a decent backup but not a starter. So I, I think it, it's really crazy. You've got an urgency to, to, to compete, yet you know it's going to be a year or two process to, you, because you're, you're retooling your quarterbacks. And no matter what else you do at other positions, until you get the quarterback situation stabilized and where you want it, you're not going to be as competitive as you need to be.
3: Chap, I asked you about the arms race in the AFC a little bit earlier, diving specifically into the foregone conclusion finally – Revealing its compensation, and the Jets going to get Aaron Rodgers. What'd you think of that train finally reaching its station, and what New York ultimately had to give up to land him?
2: Yeah, I saw some people say that the 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 the, or the it was too much. They to give up too much, but but it's never it's it's not. It, it's just not too much when you get you know a quarterback. Now the question with Aaron Rodgers is how long does he play? Yeah, is, is this I I, I just. I don't think it would be one year, but is it two years? It's kind of like the Tom Brady thing, where if you're the Jets or if you're any franchise, I think just about anybody would would go to and get that guy, whether it's Brady or Rogers or, or even Matthew Stafford. And the result is, it wins you a Super Bowl, even if that guy's gone in like three years, and then you sort of they'll be back to square one. The Jets want a quarterback. But, but it, it, if they've if they've got two or three great seasons and they make deep pushes and maybe get a Super Bowl, then it's worth it. It's just worth it. You know I don't I don't think the Rams regret whatever whatsoever mm. what how they went about getting a Stafford and getting a Super Bowl. Same with Brady. But whenever you do it that way, there's it, it's going there's going to be a downside when that guy's gone because you put so much into. That, that one window, whatever it is, two or three years. But w- whatever the Jets gave up, it's worth it. Because what, it's, two years ago, Rodgers was, was MVP, back-to-back MVP. So, yes, he's old and all that older. But he gives, any great quarterback, they give you a chance every game. Go back to Manning and, and Luck, they give you a chance. every I don't care if you're down 38-10 to 10 in the third quarter. Against the Chiefs in the playoffs, you got a chance, and that's what those guys give you. And until you get them, it's like Chris Ballard said, you know, until you until you have that guy, there's always pressure to go and get him.
1: Uh, two days, seven hours, and approximately twenty minutes till so the Colts are on the clock, Chappie. So um, that's that. Uh, uh, you can stay up until then. We'll allow you to have a nap after that. Okay.
2: <laughs> I just want it over. I- I'm looking forward to Chappie being here, and uh, as I say, that the hail be in the barn, and we get all breeze.
1: That's. Uh, I think it's everybody has that same opinion. Thanks for your time. Thanks Enjoy you the rest count. of your day. Thank you. That's uh, the great Mike Chappell.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It is the Faye Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. The frogs are still around as well. Somehow he's <laughs> in my throat all day <laughs> long. Uh, by the way, you said the NHL playoffs always deliver. You were so right about that, by the way. Um, a majority of the series tied 2-2 in the first round, so I mean... Game 7. Hockey. It's great. Game seven NBA would be good too. I don't know if we're going to get many games to a game seven in the first round of the NBA playoffs. What we do want to do is have this conversation about will the Pacers make it to a game seven coming up next year in the first round of the NBA playoffs. They're taking all the steps to get there and to talk about that with us. And more is Tony East, who covers all things Pacers and also ruined my dreams of a coin being flipped. And I will never forgive mine. him yeah. for that. So, uh, yeah. Tony, thanks for uh, joining. And, um, yeah, yeah, no coins. I'm still disappointed about that.
0: I, I take responsibility for using the term coin flip and ruining everybody's day with that uh, with that exchange. But hey, you know, if you invent a three sided coin, I'm sure the NBA is happy to uh, to flip coins
2: for these.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. It's the, the draws have been taking place. We'll get into that because I'm sure everybody was as fascinated about those permutations as we were last week. But I want to talk a little bit of big picture here, Tony. When you watch these NBA playoffs right now, you see what we're seeing, whether it's You know Jimmy Butler's amazing performance last night, some of these veteran teams that are pushing younger teams to the limit, construction of roster, yada, yada, yada. What stands out to you about success in these NBA playoffs that if you were running the Pacers, you would be looking for this offseason to try and complete this work that's being done?
0: I hate to say the same things that the Pacers have been searching for for years and years, but these big wings on both ends are still just critically important. Whether it's your superstars like Jimmy Butler and even Giannis last night and, you know, every series it seems like has one of these giant wings, except for Kings Warriors, ironically. It seems like a big wing is exceedingly influential in some way. But even, you know, texting with Eddie last night. Caleb Barton, right, is having an excellent, huge game for the Heat, right? Just guys of that size, if they can defend well or even just have a – semi-efficient night because of their size they can defend a lot of positions they can play a lot of roles on offense if they can put the ball on the floor you can trust them to do any role like they're just so valuable on a possession to possession basis and it seems like a lot of teams best lineups or hardest punches involve a player of that size or of that skill and the Pacers don't really have a lot of those right now they have some kind of raw or prospecty guys at that spot but you know establishing that position and Kevin Pritchard even said it at his end of season press right they need those hybrids those forwards those wing types to push their team forward that's what they need because they're they're still ruining the day in the postseason
3: Tony we were discussing this a little bit off air Will and I prior to you know coming on board today and just how the NBA playoffs has unfolded and with his conversation regarding roster construction, when you look at what's there right now, and you look at guys that you're willing to go out and get you a bucket or or create that opportunity for a secondary piece to go out and get a bucket in crunch time when it really matters, obviously the top two candidates for that would be Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin as he continues to grow. Do you share a similar sentiment in that regard that these are the two guys that are going to be or hopefully are going to be your big-time bucket getters, or is that still something that you feel needs to be produced in this year's draft for them?
0: I think those two can do it, right? Uh, Halliburton already showed some clutch chops this season, right? The, the, the Miami game, even that Celtics game right after the Zerbiak comments, uh, the game winner against Chicago, and I'm forgetting the other one. You know, he showed that he has clutch capabilities and can run the show. The moment's not too big for him, right? But Mather, we haven't seen that as much, right? The chances weren't as frequent for him as they were for Halliburton but he does have the skill set in general of you know off the dribble chops getting to the foul line that isolation skills that make me think he could do it I'd just be curious what it actually looks like I will say though right as confident as I would be in Halliburton in that situation right now the playoffs are different right the game is way slower the style is different the defensive attention you're getting is different the, the game plan is so scouted down and unique on every possession that sure you can be an awesome clutch player in the regular season but there's more to it in the playoffs and so I almost would want to see it with any player on the Pacers roster do you actually have what it takes when that setting comes like we've seen the Pacers be you know four or five seeds the last two times they've made the postseason and just fall totally flat on their face in the first round because it's a different game that their roster was either not prepared for or just not quite talented enough to get it done so I would need to see what both of them look like in the postseason but especially with Halbert and I'm confident they could do it it's just How well could they do it? Can they do it every single game? Or do they require some more game planning and and things like that?
1: Tony East is with us, Locked On Pacers podcast, your source for daily Pacers information, plus the 65,000 places he writes about Pacers in terms of content around the interwebs. You can find him there as well. Tony, this is a team that obviously needs to take big steps forward defensively. I think we saw what this offense could be, even with just how they're presently constructed, and we know there's going to be some other pieces coming. I think it's simple to say, oh, with a high draft pick and the number of wings, many of whom are defensive-minded, that you could probably go shopping and get all things in one sort of package when it comes to this draft, but I'm curious too through the exit interviews, through maybe even just some of the research around the other players as they progress to the NBA, how much growth defensively can this team, as it's presently constructed, no new acquisitions, how much better can they actually become defensively who they are as players?
0: Yeah, I think a blueprint for a guy that you can see where it came from was like Oladipo, right? Ironically with the Pacers in 2017, 18, like he was always athletic and pesky and could stand for of guys and people who watched him at IU knew he could defend, but in the NBA, it hadn't happened yet. And it just clicked for him, right? He came to the Pacers and the new coaching staff, right? The Nate McMillan, Dan Burke group and a, m- a bunch of other things for him, right? His workout regimen changed, but he became a great defender for the Pacers. that year. He was an all defense level of guy that year. He made all NBA. He was a fantastic go- guy on the defensive end. So, Defensive growth, I think, comes a lot down to those. There's a lot of, that goes into it, right, in terms of understanding the NBA better and understanding scheme better and all sorts of things. But there's so many little things when it comes to, you know, the game is so fast and these angles are so precise that, you know, all these little things like angles and where to stand and listening to the game plan and even sometimes like dropping your instincts. Those this great thing J.R. Smith talked about where it's like, he was defending Kobe once, and everybody said he's gonna pump fake. Stay down, stay down. And the second J.R. Smith checked in, Kobe pump faked, and his instincts kicked in, and he jumped, and he, you know, fouled him, and he got taken out of the game. Right, all these things that sound so easy are hard and take time in the NBA. And that I think a lot of these guys, because they're young and were in their first year with this team or in the league, will get better, especially at some of those little things. But it is, it is hard. A lot of it is. You know, care and scheme and who you're guarding and who's around you. Like Even Miles Turner had to do a lot more because of some of the struggles of others on the team this year, and it made him look a little less effective on that end, even though he truly probably wasn't. It was just playing a harder role. So I think everybody has a lot of work to do to get better on that end, and some of it comes down to just caring more, and some of it comes down to those little tiny things that matter so much.
3: Tony, have you made yourself a wish list of what you want the Pacers to do with the first choice that they end up making, or are you still giving yourself pause for when the, in this case, ping pong balls actually come to fruition and reveal uh, what will happen for them in the draft order.
0: Yeah, I think it, I think the position just matters so much, right? There are thankfully for them among the top, whatever, eight, nine, wherever you draw your line, there are a lot of players that would fit the the mold that they like in theory, if they want to go the long-term route with an actual pick, but you know, if they, if they get one right, <laughs> you don't you don't consider all these players. They just pick the French guy, and that's it. Uh, you know, I, I hate to reduce his name to that one, but Yama's amazing. But he's you know that's the pick, and then you you kind of change everything around that, right? Or you know, do you love Scoot Henderson? But then if so, how do how do you fit him around what you already have? You have a lot of guards on your team, right? So I think it will depend on the lottery. But if they aren't top two, right, because there are so many forward options, I think the discussion is going to be less about you know, who it is, who makes the most sense, and more about does the pick make the most sense, does a big package for an established guy make the most sense, because if they're wanting to go, like they talked about from 35 to 45, 50, whatever wins, get back to the postseason, right, they haven't played a playoff game since the bubble, they haven't played a playoff game in gamebridge since 2019 against the Celtics, right, do they really want to go for it now and get somebody fantastic, and having a top pick and a really good draft is, one of your best ammo pieces to do that. So depending on where they land, I think could drive those conversations as well. If you get the number one pick, it's hard to imagine trading it for anything. Even number two would have pretty high value, but you're in that seven, eight, nine range, you know, who's available to you in the draft, who's available to you. That's, a well established player. I think those are the discussions that they'll have to have that will be really tricky.
1: Get all the information at T East NBA on Twitter if you want to follow all the stuff that Tony's already been writing and talking about. Uh, Tony, all of these draft picks with nowhere really to put them when it comes to the roster, how valuable are these late first round draft picks for the Pacers?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can even point to their most recent 31st pick, Andrew Nimbard, and say potentially very, right? Like he's was awesome for them this year that that gives a lot of hope for these late picks but also you know that that's not common right like the 31st pick the year before him isaiah todd with the wizards has not panned out to be much so it's kind of eye of the beholder right if you're a team that loves a guy that's still available come 26 29 whatever they're super valuable if you're a team that values a big drop line after whatever 24 players perhaps they're not too valuable but For the Pacers specifically, I think they're valuable in that they're just a solid asset for a team that is going to have a lot of movement this summer, right? Whether that's between players or picks or whatever, it's almost impossible for them not to be a team making either one ginormous trade or multiple trades just because they have too many picks and not enough roster spots and too much cap space and not a lot of ways to use it with – the way their roster is currently constructed. So those picks represent a good way to you know, get involved in a bigger trade or consolidate them for something else. So yeah, even beyond what their value is to the Pacers, the fact that they will have value to other teams, especially in a pretty good draft, I think that's what's important to them this summer.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Tony East with us of Locked on Pacers, and you can find his work as well on Sports Illustrated, among another of other options like Forbes, WTHR, the list goes on and on before you can find Tony's work. We talked a lot throughout the entirety of this season, Tony, about how there was so much parity from top to bottom within the NBA. There's been the injuries, and we'll talk talk about that as this conversation unfolds, I'm sure, but when you look at a 7-seed up 3-1, an 8-seed up 3-1, a 5-seed up 3-1, is that should we be surprised by any of that given all the parody talk that we had accepted throughout the course of the season?
0: Uh, yes and no. Right. Like the Warriors are succeed. They're tied at two, but I don't think anybody's surprised by the Warriors winning. Right. The Knicks are a five, four, right. But they're really good ever since the trade deadline. Like, no one should be surprised by that, even though I picked the Cavs in five. So apparently, I should be surprised by that. But I think the Grizzlies and Bucks situation, even considering their opponents, right? Like the Lakers have LeBron and AD, but the Grizzlies were awesome this year and they won a game without Morant, and now they're down three-one and on the brink of, you know, completely falling apart in the first round. And the Bucks, especially, like they won a game without Giannis, they're down three-one. The Heat can't miss from three, despite being a terrible shooting team this regular season, like. The two teams they're playing against have, you know, the stars of the Lakers or the one of the best playoff coaches ever and Eric Spolstra, right? That matters and I think kind of speaks to the parity of the league in that, you know, these teams can be good on any given night, right? There's a reason that the play-in tournament was featuring, you know, 45-win, 46-win teams because there's a lot of good teams this year, right? The Pacers had the seventh-worst record with 35 wins. Like, that's usually a 12th-worst record kind of range. It was a pretty good year of parity in the NBA. I think you're seeing that play out in the first round, but a big part of it, like you said, is – the injuries to star players, Giannis, John Morant, you know, it, it seems like every series there's someone going down here Fox. We learn of yesterday. It's, it's everywhere, and it's a big bummer for the league that in a year with so much parity and it dominated the headlines, that's going to be a big part of this too is all these teams thinking, well, if we just weren't injured, you know, things could have gone a little differently for us.
1: Tony, so many good articles and good content with uh, you've been floating out there with the exit interviews that the players all had. Uh, give me one player or maybe one thing that came out of an interview where your your eyebrows just raised a little bit. I mean, there could be so much talk. We got to do this. I got to get better at this. One hundred and ten percent. Yada yada yada. <laughs> Everything is sort of moving forward. But but something from a player, you were like, oh wow, I even ha- hadn't thought about that, or that gives me reason for excitement moving forward.
0: Yeah, that's what you just nailed. The thing I like about X interviews, like there's going to be. of the stuff said is some, not cookie cutter, but just some like, you know, you expect to hear it. Like, yeah, every player is going to work on their game in the offseason. It's their job. But what specific things stand out to me? One of the things that really stood out to me is Benedict Matherin saying part of the reason he was disappointed in the season is he didn't feel like he gave the effort level he was hoping for every single game, right? Like that is a unique trait for a rookie to say. Like he he just said, he says all the right things to make you believe that he's going to be, just like a really good player for so long, right? He wants to be pressed to be the best two way player in the league. He loves being coached hard. He loves those moments mid game where, you know, fans hate it, but he comes out and Rick Carlisle says, Hey, you didn't do this coverage right, or you weren't in the right spot, or you didn't run your lane in transition, right? That and that stuff's really important for a player who wants to be as good as he does. And so I thought that was fascinating that he put his rookie season under the microscope that way and said, you know, hey, I didn't always have that the way I hoped I would and it's hard in an 82 game season especially when it's your first one and you're learning a lot about the NBA and the rigors of day-to-day life like I asked every rookie about what they learned about the league because that's a significant part of it but I thought that was very revealing from him and that you know he wants to be that guy who is playing all 82 games and given all of his effort every single game and of course every player will say that but I think given his his scope of his first season the way he talked the way that the team treated him I think that he really needs it and it's going to bode well for him long term.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Tony, Minnesota finds itself in a 3-1 hole. Milwaukee finds itself in a 3-1 hole. So do the Clippers. So do the Cavaliers. (laughs) So do the Grizzlies. So do the Hawks. You have to pick one of those teams that you think have the best shot to turn the tide and win the series in seven who are you hitching your wagon to and why
0: i'm picking the bucks i mean that seems easy because they're the one seed and they have an mvp candidate and they've won a title in the last few years but the heat were the 27th best three-point shooting team in the regular season now they can't miss they're over 50 percent after four games this series even without tyler hero for much of it that seems really unsustainable the bucks have won without Giannis already they he played great last night. They were up big in the fourth quarter, right? They have, the, the evidence is there that they are better and they can beat the Heat at their best. But, you know, obviously being down 3-1 is exceedingly significant. So I think just because they're the best team in the way, the Heat have been winning. I mean, Jimmy Butler was incredible last night, but uh, has been a little bit unsustainable given what it looks like their team is. I think I'd pick the Bucks, but I got to give the Grizzlies a little bit of a shout here. like. I thought they played really bad last night against the Lakers and still had a pretty good chance in that game. Like, Ja looked really out of it at times, and they were relying a lot on Desmond Bain to create as a result, and they were still up late, like one stop away from winning that game. I think they have what it takes to beat the Lakers, although it's hard to bet against LeBron up 3-1. So I, I would pick the Bucks and Grizzlies, and maybe that's dumb because they're just the two highest seeds of the group you mentioned to me, but... Uh, Those two seem like, given the way their series have gone and the way injuries have driven it, the most likely to do so.
1: Tony, slight shift of gears here. Leah Boston introduced by the fever, I guess, formally, although we've sort of known that Leah Boston was going to be a member of this team for (laughs) months now. uh, As soon as that lottery was sort of over with, Uh, there has to be optimism around the fever, given how the last couple of years have gone and, and, and the accumulative assets finally coming to getting a player that was sort of a consensus number one overall type talent. Uh, what are the expectations of how large of a leap this team is supposed to take, the expectations of that leap, given what they've now been able to accumulate?
0: Yeah, it's like all settled for them now, right? Like 14 months ago, they had a different head coach and a different GM and their home stadium was being renovated. And they didn't have like nine of their 12 players were going to be on their roster here because the draft hadn't happened yet. It kind of feels all settled for them, and it culminates with having a, an, an obvious number one pick, global talent in Aliyah Boston. She was a delight to meet yesterday at her introductory presser. She said, morning to people who would ask her questions. Like, I thought that was endearing and uh, rare for an athlete to be that sort of polite in that setting. And, yeah, for the Fever, right, That they, they finally have the pieces in place to be a better team than they've been in past seasons. They have a culture in place. They, they have a style that, that has kind of been missing, I think, in recent seasons. And on top of that, the way the W's kind of pivoted, There's a couple teams that have been better the last couple years that either had a a legend retire or a legend move teams like the Lynx and the Sky that they could easily pass in the standing. So I think they'll be out of the the league's basement this season and, and right on the cusp of maybe a playoff berth for the first time in about five years.
3: Tony East with us of Locked On Pacers and Sports Illustrated. Tony, going back to the NBA playoffs continuation that we'll see over the next couple of weeks and months, obviously you had your predictions before the postseason started of who you thought was going to be able to raise the Larry O'Brien trophy with all the injuries, with all the series deficits, where they're at in both sides, the East and the West. Has there been any shakeup of who you think can capture the title now with the gift of most series about wrapped up and knowing what you know now with all the injuries?
0: Well, I thought it would be a Bucks Clippers final. So I'm looking extremely stupid at this stage, even though. Injuries have certainly gotten in the way, but the team in the East I've most commonly picked that isn't the Bucs or have been high on is the Celtics, and they look good this postseason. Even when they look bad, they're able to compete with the Hawks, and just Derek White's been so good for them. Former Pacer Brogdon's been really good for them. They look really threatening. So, obviously, in beating Harden going to be tougher for them than Atlanta is. But I think, you know, they made the finals last year. They've got the infrastructure in place. I think they look really solid right now, just especially given that they're one of the few teams that look like they might survive the first round with their health still intact. So, I, I'd be high on the Celtics right now if I, you know, was, was picking teams. And in the West, it's just so tough, right? The Suns haven't looked as good as anybody thought. The Nuggets, they look fine, but even at their best, haven't looked as forceful as I maybe thought they might. You know, no team in the West has stood out to me. So I mean, I'm kind of inclined to just pick the team I've seen win the championship four times in the last seven years in Golden State. Even though they've got a hard battle in front of them, but if they can escape this King team, it might be better than any team they beat in the Western Conference playoffs last year, right? then I might, might be inclined to pick them to get out of the West. But it's a lot of bad, man. Like that, You could tell me six teams make the finals, and I'd probably leave all of them. It's such a crazy year.
1: Tony, last one for me. NBA draft lottery is on Tuesday, May the 16th. That will obviously determine a lot of what the Pacers' plans and path are moving forward. Um This might be an irresponsible question because it's just such a large hypothetical, but when it comes to actual draft night, how many first round selections do you think the Pacers make? And what do you think they come out with in terms of not necessarily an individual, but personnel wise, like what would be the what would be the ultimate best scenario of how many picks and what those positions look like?
0: I honestly think the answer might just be one. I mean, yeah. they 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 have so many young guys already uh, that are a part of what they're good at. And so I think they might just make their best pick and then you know try to avoid being in the lottery for as long as possible with the young core that they have. And say, you know what, our timeline is Matherin and Albert. And then with the rest of their picks or whatever assets they decide are a part of their asset base for the draft... They move those for established guys or pieces that fit or even long term things they can use to make a big trade in the future. They are pretty uniquely positioned to make a star trade in the future, and so if they could add to that base, perhaps one pick and adding to that would be the way that they go.
3: Tony, last thing on my end, I know you're not the biggest gambling guy, but the <laughs> lines have been released in terms of games that'll take place on Wednesday. Bucks favored by eleven. That surprise you?
0: Uh you know, I said that the Heat have been on fire from deep, so I'm not surprised that they're favored by 11. The lines on that series have been weird because the Heat are, like, barely favored to win the series still, even though they're up 3-1. So uh, I guess I'm not super surprised because of that. But at the same time, I mean, the Heat have looked pretty dang good. And it's so crazy that that team was three minutes away from not even making the playoffs, losing to the Bulls in that play-in game, and now they're you know on the brink of eliminating the bucks but i don't think 11 surprises me the bucks look really good at their best in miami despite actually losing that game so i think they can win by 11 and they need to have an 11 point urgency uh, but you know he Heat not played well enough that i might be interested in taking a little less than 11 if i had to set that line
3: tony East taking the time with us you can find his work locked on pacers sports illustrated forbes wthr anything you're working on right now that you want to plug out there tony
0: uh, I don't know if there's anything I want to plug right now, but uh, I thank you for the opportunity. Anyway, <laughs> always
3: appreciate. It. You can find him all off season long on Locked On Pacers and Sports Illustrated. Thanks, Tony.
0: Yeah, thanks, guys.